thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. Genesis 32 this morning, a a story we might be familiar with, uh, verses 22 to 31. Listen to the words of the first book of the Bible, uh, the story of of Jacob. That same, the same night he got up, that is Jacob, and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please, Tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the world. Amen. Thanks be to God. Um, so this is normal, right? Genesis 32, this story, it sounds really like a normal experience, doesn't it? How frequently, this is a question, how frequently does our familiarity with a particular text or story prevent us from seeing what's actually happening? Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. We're so close to the text, we don't see how strange it just might be. Hearing this story of Jacob wrestling with this mysterious divine person, it can almost be like a Monet painting. You know Monet, Claude Monet, the founder of French Impressionism. He was a painter, he was a, a, a painter and artist. He created masterpieces with simple blobs of paint. If you stood up close to the painting, it would look like a bunch of blobs. Just disorganized clumps of dried paint without image, but if you take a few steps back, the image becomes a little bit more clear. You, the blobs begin to make sense in their arrangement, and you can perceive what the artist had intended. If you grew up in the church, chances are you're familiar with this story to some degree. Jacob being named Israel. Well, this is where Israel gets her name. When you want to know about the origins of the people of God, you go to Genesis 32. This is where Israel first shows up in the texts. The nation of Israel is named because of this moment after Jacob's name is changed. The familiarity with it, the closeness with it, that could make it so that we don't wrestle with it, pun intended, um, and take it at face value. But step back for a moment, if you will, church. Join me in removing your familiarity for just a few minutes. Imagine that you've never heard this story before. 
Imagine that you don't know what Israel is or how it got its name. The point of today's message is to treat Genesis 32 kind of like a Monet painting. Let's step back. Let's see what the big picture is. Let's see what the artist or the author had intended for us to see. So let me ask again. Pretty normal, isn't it? Take a step back. Genesis 32. This is maybe not so normal, right? I mean, Jacob, whose name means heel grabber, that's what Jacob means. It means heel grabber because he grabbed his brother's heel as he came out of the womb. He's a, he's a liar. He's a thief. He has stolen his brother's inheritance, and he finds himself alone across the ford of the Jabbok. There's a very good joke in there about crossing the ford of the Jabbok that only a few Star Trek fans will get, so I won't make it. But it's almost like it's Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. I mean, if you know, you know. Crossing the ford of the Jabbok. Um, but he's alone, and he's away from his entire family across the ford of the Jabbok in the middle of the night. What's going on, dude? Why are you alone out in the wild in the middle of nowhere? Jacob has been in a huge fight with his brother Esau. That's what's going on. Jacob and Esau, as they are wont to do, are fighting again. But this time they both have huge communities that they're overseeing. Multiple wives and multiple children and multiple servants and big, big families to tend to. And they've had another big fight. And guess what? Jacob fears for his life. He divides up his family, and he divides up his slaves into multiple camps, just in case Esau attacks. Then he separates himself from everyone else. Real brave leader here, right? Going to take the charge from the front, right? No, I'm going to separate my, my camp, my family into camps. You guys go that way, you guys go that way. All my wives, all my children, you guys go there. I'm going to be alone across the river, okay? He's trying to preserve his own life apparently, because what we read earlier in the passage is that he's sent, he has sent through his emissaries, through his different slaves, multiple gifts to Esau, saying, hey, take these gifts and put them in the front of your, in the front of your camp. If you run into Esau, give him the gifts. And say, hey, these come from your brother. These come from Jacob. Don't kill him. He's in self-preservation mode. He's hiding. And then all of a sudden, as he's hiding alone in the middle of the night, some guy shows up. This is where things just become really typical, right? Things become very ordinary when all of a sudden some random dude shows up and just starts wrestling him. Who hasn't had that experience for real, though? Who hasn't been alone on the other side of the river when some random guy just starts grappling with you? What would you do? How would you respond? You'd call the cops, right? You'd run away. Some random guy shows up and just starts wanting to wrestle you? I'm out. You pull out your mace. This is Michigan. Chances are you'd pull out your concealed carry. But not Jacob. Not Jacob. 
No, he says, takes two to tango. He says, all right, if that's the way you want it, let's go. He fights back. He wrestles this guy for apparently hours. Church, I'm the youngest of three boys, okay? I know a thing or two about wrestling. But I'm the youngest of three boys, so I don't know enough about wrestling to count. You see, I was rarely on the winning end of our wrestling matches. It never happened. I was always a scrawny little kid. And do you know how my brothers and I would determine who won or lost a wrestling match? It's pretty typical. At least uh, for us, the first one to shout, uncle, was the loser. Say uncle. No. Say uncle. No. Mom. Say uncle. Uncle. Mom wouldn't get you out of it, but uncle would. The one who had the upper hand would force their younger brother, me, to shout uncle before they would free their younger brother, me. I was always the loser. But here's Jacob, the younger brother, who uh, he doesn't tell this mysterious man to shout uncle. No, he, he says, I'm not letting you go, brother, until you bless me. This is almost Jacob's version of uncle. Yeah, I'll let you go, but only when you bless me. Or maybe more literally, only when you kneel to me. Because that's what the word means. To bless is to kneel. He wants a blessing from this mysterious divine person who shows up out of nowhere and starts fighting him. He says, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go until you kneel to me. Almost his way of saying submit. So then this man does bless Jacob, but not without first touching him. Some texts say the man struck Jacob, but the original language is more about just a whisper of a touch. Almost like he barely touched him on the hip. And for the rest of Jacob's life, he will walk with a limp because this man touched him on the hip while they were wrestling so he's blessed, but he also bears the scars of what brought that blessing. Because I want to submit to you today, church, that the blessing is in the wrestling. In some strange way, the wrestling is where we find the blessing. And I think there's further evidence of that when Jacob receives his new name. His new name, this divine wrestler gives him this new name, which is Israel. Again, let's not lose the forest for the trees here. We're familiar with the name Israel, right? But did you know that Israel's not a name? It's a sentence. In Hebrew, Israel is a sentence. It's three words. Is-ra-el. Each of those words has a specific meaning, and when you put them together, it's a sentence. And what it means is, he wrestles God. Is-he-ra struggles, tussles. Wrestles El, God. Israel, that's what Israel means. It means he wrestles with God. What would come to define Israel was not that he was once a heel grabber, was not that he was once the one who stole his brother's birthright. What would come to define Israel was that he was the one who would not give up the fight. 
the people of God would come to bear this name as well, Israel. The nation would come to be called, they wrestle with God. The people of God weren't the people who had all the answers, okay? Apparently, the people of God weren't the ones who had everything figured out. Apparently, the people of God were the ones who were still fighting. They were the ones who were still wrestling. The people of God uh, weren't even the entirely sanctified ones, okay? The people of God, according to this definition of the name, they were the ones who simply kept wrestling. Apparently, the people of God are simply the ones who don't turn back when the going gets tough. Apparently, what this story tells us is that the people of God keep wrestling. Even when it's hard. Even when it hurts. Even when it's dark. Even when they're in the midst of the dark night of the soul. Do you know what I mean about, do you know what I mean when I talk about the dark night of the soul? A brief aside, if you, if you will, for a moment. I want to tell you what I'm going to do this morning, and it's not something I usually do. <clears throat> I want to do something with the scriptures that I don't normally do. Um, and that is, I want to read the story of Jacob and the divine wrestler uh, as an allegory. I don't usually want to turn biblical stories into allegories that's, Really not what's, uh, what's really deemed appropriate by biblical scholars and contemporary preachers. Don't allegorize the scriptures. And in our seminary education, we're taught, really, don't allegorize the text. That is, don't read the Bible and listen to the story and say, what does this represent for you? What, what, well, this represents this for your spirit to turn it into some, some sort of metaphor or allegory or say, well, this story means this for the church, <clears throat> but I'm going to do that today. I'm telling you in advance, and to console myself, I reminded myself that the third and the fourth century fathers and mothers would allegorize the scriptures a whole lot, so I feel like I'm in good company with, with treating the text in this way, but what does the story of Jacob and this mysterious divine man mean for us? How do we apply it to our lives? Uh, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What, is, what does it mean for us? Well, I think, church, that this is Jacob's dark night of the soul. I think this evening is Jacob's dark night of the soul. Now, the dark night of the soul was a poem written by St. John of the Cross, a 16th century Spanish mystic priest. And the dark night of the soul is a poem that tells in part... If you look closely, you can see hints of Jacob's wrestling with the divine. The poem begins, On a dark night, kindled in love with yearnings, O happy chance, I went forth without being observed, my house being now at rest. Maybe this is Jacob being alone, without being observed, my house being now at rest. In the middle of the night, he's alone without being observed, and in this poem, St. John of the Cross tells the story of being confronted with one whom he calls the Beloved. Capital B, Beloved, who will show up throughout the poem. And in this, in this poem, who is the Beloved but the Divine, but God. 
And the, the poem tells the moment that he is transformed by the beloved. St. John of the Cross ends his poem, The Dark Night of the Soul. The breeze blew from the turret as I parted his locks, and his gentle hand wounded my neck and caused all my senses to be suspended. I remained lost in oblivion. My face I reclined on the beloved, all ceased, and I abandoned myself, leaving my cares forgotten among the lilies. You see, what St. John of the Cross puts so beautifully into verse is that transformation happens in the dark night of our soul. I know I'm not doing justice to the poem, but it articulates that transformation happens not by avoiding the dark night of the soul. Transformation happens not by going around the dark night of the soul, but perhaps by giving yourself to it. By surrendering to it, all ceased, and I abandoned myself. This is a letting go of the ego. It's a surrendering to the night. St. John of the Cross is saying that transformation happens in the surrendering of suffering. And I think that's good news. Maybe hard news, but good news. And perhaps that's what Genesis 32 is telling us today in the story of Jacob turned Israel. Genesis 32, being alone across the port of the Jabbok, is Jacob's dark night of the soul. It is this moment that he was trying to avoid. Remember, church. He had separated himself from everyone. He was trying to preserve his own life, sending gifts ahead to his opponent, his brother Esau, so that he's not going to have to fight his brother. He's avoiding the hard stuff, pushing it aside and saying, I'm not going to deal with that. The story of Jacob turning into Israel is his dark night of the soul where in his attempts to avoid the fight, where does he find himself but in a fight with God? He wrestles with who he is and who he was and who he ought to be. You will no longer be termed the heel grabber. That's who you were, buddy. You see, this is Jacob's dark night of the soul where his wrestling with the divine is also his wrestling with himself. The dark night of the soul is not something we desire or something we pursue. It's not something we long for. It is the transformation that comes through the struggle, that comes through the wrestle, that comes in the fight. Church, have you ever been, have you ever experienced the dark night of the soul? That season that felt like darkness would never end. The time of your life where it felt like God was the furthest away. Have you had those moments where everything feels dark and it feels like you have to keep fighting at every turn just to keep moving forward? Can I get a break? 
God, what is happening in my life? It feels like everything that I knew is wrong and everything that I loved is gone. Have you felt the utter devastation of broken relationships? Trust lost. Fidelity gone. And it feels like everyone you've ever held dear is going to be gone forever. That is the dark night of the soul. Have you ever felt the complete hopelessness of desiring to bring life into this world, knowing that there is nothing you can do to make it happen? Knowing that you can try your hardest and do your best, but it's still not going to bring your dreams to reality? That is the dark night of the soul. Have you ever known the brokenness of losing someone you held so dear? One who you knew loved you unconditionally. And even if you knew it was coming, their loss hits you over and over again. Or maybe you've known the loss of one whose life was cut too short. One whose life was nothing but innocent and carefree. Have you known the brokenness of losing one that you called your beloved? This is the dark night of the soul. Have you known the slavery of addiction? Where you know you're destroying yourself. But you just can't stop. That is the dark night of your soul. Now, church, I know that some of you have experienced the dark night of the soul because you've told me. I know you've experienced it because while you were in it, you asked if I could wrestle with you. You said, Pastor, I'm wrestling. I don't know what's going on. I just did the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life, and I don't know how to pick the pieces back up. I want to tell you, church, the dark night of the soul, as painful as it may be, and as, as uncomfortable as it may be, and as, much as if, and as much as you never want anyone to experience that in your life, and even if it leaves you walking with a limp, and even if it leaves you scarred, and it will leave you scarred, the dark night of the soul, I'm telling you, is not something to be neglected. It's not something to be avoided. It's not something to be dismissed. Like Jacob, who will become Israel, the dark night of the soul, as fearful as it is, it is to be engaged. It is to be given over into when Jacob is met by this man in the dark. He doesn't run. He doesn't flee. He grapples with him. In the dark night of the soul, we fight. For it, it is in the dark night of the soul, if we keep wrestling, that perhaps we receive a new name. Maybe, maybe, the dark night of the soul is where God transforms you 
As contemporary mystic priest Father Richard Rohr has said, transformation only happens through two circumstances. Awe, wonder, and sorrow. And he says, and I hate to break it to you, but if you're over 30, it only happens through sorrow. And he's also written, darkness, darkness, failure, relapse, death, and woundedness are our primary teachers. This was true for Jacob. His being wounded was his teacher. This was true for Jacob. Maybe it's true for me too. So church, I want to tell you, if you find yourself in the dark night of the soul, you know, when you find yourself in the dark night of your soul, don't give up the fight. Don't turn back. Don't return back across the ford of the Jabbok. Keep wrestling. And while you're at it, church, grab a friend to wrestle with you. Because you have friends who want to wrestle with you. Because in some mysterious way, in some mysterious way, the transformation is in the tussle. In some mysterious way, the blessing is in the wrestling. And that is the good news for us today. We're going to come to the table this morning. We're going to receive these elements, the bread and the cup. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I can miss the forest for the trees when it comes to the table, when it comes to the Eucharist, when it comes to this. Do you know what these represent for us? Do you know what the broken bread and the poured cup is for us? It is the good news that Jesus did not give up the fight. It's the good news that Jesus kept on going. You know what Christ prayed the night before he was crucified? He said, God, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I know what's coming, and it's going to be hard. But Jesus knew that through the dark night of the soul there is transformation and there is redemption and for him, through him there's life as you come to the table today come knowing that you are sharing in the one who did not give up the fight the one who kept on going in the midst of the struggle in the midst of the fight Come and be encouraged that as you enter your dark night of the soul, Christ goes with you.